Uh, we'll hear argument now, number 97, 1396, Vicky Lopez versus Monterey County. Uh, Mr. Avila. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The question before you is whether a voting change is required to be pre-cleared prior to its implementation within a Section 5 covered jurisdiction. Section 5, plain language, its purpose, administrative interpretation, and congressional ratification answer that question in the affirmative. The State of California's statutory construction argument would undermine the broad purpose of Section 5 as articulated by this Court. Well, but if, if it's a fair reading of the statute, uh, it has weight in its own right, doesn't it? Even if it might be uh, contrary to some earlier decisions of this Court. Yes, it would. It, it, if there's some, any ambiguity in the plain language of the statute, then you would look at, at not only at prior precedent, but also you would look at the structure, the overall structure of the Act, that is the interrelationship uh, between Section 4 and 5, and also you would look at the Attorney General's longstanding interpretation of the Act and the legislative history, which, uh, which confirms Congress's awareness and ratification of that interpretation. And when you look at the, fo- when you, when you look at the focus of Section 5, it is on the covered jurisdiction and whether its voting practices have changed, irrespective of the source of the voting change. But the state's construction would immunize a covered voting change so long as the state enacted a superseding statute, even if that statute was never subjected to preclearance. This construction would create what has been described as a loophole the size of a mountain. Two examples of such loopholes are, one, counties could evade Section 5 review by securing courtesy legislation at the state level. Number two, Section 5 review of redistricting plans would be circumvented. On the other hand, our harmonious interpretation of the statute is achieved by construing Section 5 consistently with Section 4. Well, the courtesy legislation point, I mean, I guess you have to acknowledge that, 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 that a covered county can do some nasty things which it hasn't tried to do before by, by getting the state to acknowledge statewide legislation. No? That's correct. Um, the, problem, the problem, however, is that the state's argument, if adopted by this court, would result in major loopholes in the, in the Section 5 preclearance provisions. And in, in this particular instance, it would immunize the county's voting changes from Section 5 review. If you appeal to plain language, what do you what do you do when uh, the state adopts a general provision of legislation? Does each county within the state that happens to be covered have to clear that piece of legislation? My it, understanding is that it's simply the state that pre-clears it, and uh, when that happens, uh, the county's okay. If the focus is on the voting changes that occur within the covered jurisdiction, if the state enacts a statute that affects voting changes within that covered jurisdiction, either the state or the county can submit either the, st- the legislation uh, for Section 5 preclearance. Uh, I wouldn't. Oh, well, I, but if you're appealing to, to the plain language, does the plain language suggest that either the state or the county can do it? The, <clears throat> the, the plain language of, the, of, of Section 5 would suggest that either a, a covered state or, uh, or a political subdivision but, however, the, the, the responsibility, the primary responsibility, would be on Monterey County to make sure that it submits any voting change, irrespective of its source, when it effectuates a voting change. May, I want to make sure county. I understand you. When, what plain language is it that you're relying on? Is it the uh, seek to administer? Yes, it is. And the seeks to administer refa- refers, in fact, to the act of administering 
not, as the State argues, to an administrative act. Again, the focus is on the covered jurisdiction and whether its voting practices have changed. Suppose the State has no — or, the, pardon me, suppose the county has no discretion. Um, you shall consolidate the, the judicial district. Um, does the State — does the county seek to administer such a provision? It's not asking. It, it, seek means advice. I might seek your advice. Uh, the, the state isn't really or the, pardon me the county really isn't asking to do uh, anything it's being told by the state to do it let's assume no discretion let's assume the state has no different options yeah, that interpretation seeks to administer means seeking to implement as this court in the first opinion it stated well it's not seeking to do anything it's just ministerially complying with a command from the state it is implementing a, vo- a voting change but it's not seeking to in in the sense of, of, of wanting to, of, of asking to, is, is simply obeying a command from the state? Well, when, if, even if it obeys a command from the state, when if it effectuates voting change within that covered jurisdiction, it has to be submitted for Section 5 preclearance. Otherwise, you're, you're going to create uh, huge exemptions, especially in, sta- in, in, in states that have, that include uh, covered Section 5 well, counties like you, North you, Carolina. You, you say a huge exemption. But may, it's perfectly arguable from the language that that's what Congress intended. It is, a re, it, it is one interpretation. However, uh, the Attorney General, which is charged with the central enforcement of this Section 5, could also have another reasonable interpretation. And that reasonable interpretation in the past has been deferred to by this Court, especially in matters, uh, uh, especially in, ter- in terms of interpreting uh, its regulations as they apply to, to matters affecting voting. And in Presley, that was the case. In Presley, uh, Section 5's broad scope as it relates to election matters was given a very broad scope. And that, and the Attorney General in this case has been interpreting. Well, but isn't there an argument on the other side that here we deal with a, a national and state relations? and that since this does uh, impinge on them, it should probably not get a terribly sweeping interpretation. Your Congress has stepped into the state-local state business. Yes, but that, that balance, uh, that balance between, uh, th- that delicate balance that was struck by Congress back in 1965 between a state's sovereignty and the federal interest in eliminating the blight of of voting discrimination, that was struck in 1965, and it's been re-ratified or ratified three times. Precisely. So let's look at the language and not some cry for a very broad interpretation of it. It it is not a a cry for a very broad interpretation. In fact, what we're seeking to do in this case is just merely maintain what's been going on since 1965, and that is when you have — The Attorney General reviewing redistricting plans from 1970, 1980, and 1990 from North Carolina, New York, and California, which are states that contain uh, covered counties. When you look at that and you look at the the congressional record that's cited uh, in our briefs, you find that, uh, in fact, in the 1982 uh, reenactment, of the, 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 the Voting Rights Act, you find uh, explicit references in the Senate report that say, while North, quote, while North Carolina as a state is not subject to Section 5, the legislation in question affected North Carolina counties, which are covered, and therefore it should have been pre-cleared. And when you look at, at, at another page reference, at page 14 in that Senate report, is it explicitly 
refers to letters of objections, which they found to be uh, compelling evidence for reenacting Section 5. And one of those letters of objections on page 11 of that Senate report is a 1981 redistricting plan for North Carolina. So we have this history of administrative interpretation and this history of congressional ratification of that interpretation. And uh, and so, when we, and, and in addition to that, when you look at the overall structure of the Act and the interrelationship between section, uh, s- Sections 5 and Section 4, we find even more compelling reasons for maintaining the status quo. In Katzenbach, this Court stressed the interrelationships between Section 4 and 5 and stated that Section 5 was designed to march in lockstep with Section 4. In Katzenbach and Gaston County, this Court approved Section 4's statutory framework, which suspended state literacy laws in Section 5 covered counties, even though the state itself was not a designated jurisdiction. In other words, all literacy tests that were suspended in the covered counties were products of state law. Well, you, one of your arguments uh, is, is the, what, the, the, the risk of what you refer to as the courtesy legislation, that in fact uh, if state law itself is, is, a, is a means to avoid Section 5, uh, the, the usual state capital log rolling will simply mean that the, that the counties will get the legislature to enact what they want. Is, is it an answer to that to say that a line should be drawn between legislation which affects only a covered county and general legislation uh, which, in fact, uh, affects every county in the state, which I understand is, is the case here? Is, is the risk sufficiently reduced in the case of, of uh, bona fide statewide legislation so that, uh, so that we should dismiss, uh, in, in a case like this, we should dismiss the concerns about courtesy legislation? Yes, because, in fact, the state of California has a choice here in enacting state legislation. When we look at the 1979 state statute, we find that California, in fact, directed its legislative effort towards one county. The statute specifically mentions Monterey County. Well, there's, there's, so, well, there's two things here. Justice Souter can certainly protect his own question. The premise of his question was that there was state legislation which applied to more counties than Monterey. And he said, would that be a difference? And then you say, well, this, this uh, 1979 statute applied only to Monterey. That, that doesn't really quite answer his, his, his question as a principle of law. Yes. Why don't you answer the question first as to whether or not his suggestion about the principle is accurate. Then you can say whether or not the principle applies here. The, the principle of law is that when you have a statewide uh, statute that, has, um, that affects voting changes throughout the state, and four of those counties in California are subject to Section 5, those state statutes would have to be submitted for Section 5. Well, but that's the issue. I mean, that's, that's the issue. And, and one of your reasons for saying that they must be is that unless uh, the, the general legislation is so submitted with respect to those counties, legislation at the state level will simply be used as a cover that's for correct. what, in fact, is, is local discriminatory efforts. And my suggestion was that perhaps if you have a genuine, bona fide legislative act um, uh, intended to cover the whole state that really does cover the whole state, uh, that you don't have that concern. And, and why, why, isn't, why, why would you have that concern uh, in the case of statewide legislation? We would have that concern, if I understand the, uh, your question, uh, because it might still have mischief in other uh, counties. Uh, for example, if, if — if you're, you're saying that it might lack uh, intent to discriminate but have the effect that, — That's correct. Uh, and, and really, that's a question 
for another proceeding, because here we are still in the, in the enforcement stage of Section 5, and that, that issue would be best addressed when you're reviewing the substantive determination of whether a statewide statute uh, has a discriminatory f- uh, purpose or has a discriminatory Could I ask you to identify what relief you actually want? This has had a complicated history, the justice and municipal courts in Monterey County. Uh, are, uh, what uh, precise relief are you now asking? Are you trying to get preclearance of the California state law in 1979 consolidating municipal courts into a single district, or the county ordinance that same year, or both? It isn't clear to me. We are trying to uh, both. Uh, the quick answer is, is both. We are trying to basically enforce this court's first opinion, which, which uh, stated. Well, yeah, fine. But I, I'm trying to pin it down. You want um, preclearance, in effect, of the 1979 County Consolidation Ordinance. That's correct. And the 1979 state law to the same effect. That's correct. And that's, that's the premise of our argument, because — And even if you get some kind of preclearance and review in the meantime — um, state law has changed again and um, has totally eliminated judicial districts. Well, There's a constitutional amendment now that eliminated justice of the peace courts, and there's a state law increasing municipal judges from seven to nine in the county, and that was pre-cleared. Yes, it was. The 1983 state statute was, was pre-cleared. Yeah. The, the, what, what is important, however, is that — So at the bottom line, what are you trying to get? The bottom line is that the 1983 pre-clearance merely involved the, 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 the pre-clearance, as this Court found, from th- going from three districts, three judicial districts, to one countywide district. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, on November 1, 1968, we had nine judicial districts. And the 1983 state statute cannot be read to have pre-cleared those nine uh, districts into, into three districts because there's no reference. The Attorney General had no notice. But under state law today, it has to be one judicial district. So That's correct. what's available at the end of the line? I, I just don't well, see. The, the basis for that one uh, judicial district is that if that judicial, if that countywide district is to be pre-cleared, it was only pre-cleared or approved from the change from three judicial districts. Please tell me what it is at bottom you're trying to get. Are you trying to go back to some separate district system? No. Separate elections? What is it you're trying to achieve at the end of the day? At Just the end tell of, me. At the end of the day, we're trying to have an election system that complies with, this, with, the, with the substantive provisions of Section 5. Well, what do you say that is? Is, is it by separate districts or, or a single judicial district? It could be a combination, and that would be a, a best a, a remedy. Uh, it could be a combination of districts. It could be a combination of multi-member There's districts. nothing that you're trying to get, then? Uh, well, I, in concrete terms, I'd like to know what you are seeking. Well, what we're seeking is uh, basically what we're uh, looking at is either a districting plan or a multi-member districting plan. Well, state laws eliminated multi-member districts. Now, but if we have a but if we have a substantive determination that the uh, the at-large election system or that the uh, conversion from nine districts to six judicial districts is in violation of Section 5, then the, the district court 
it's best able to address that particular question as far as a remedy is concerned. So Monterey County could be excluded from this general state legislation under your view? Yes, it could. In fact, uh, in fact, uh, Monterey County, uh, the state legislature has enacted state legislation that affected just Monterey County. So we're not asking but anything. I, I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, the, 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 they had enacted, revised the justice court system for the entire state. That's correct. Now, we're not, in, in it, we're not requesting at this point to get back into the justice courts. Basically, what we're asking for is to, uh, make, to, Secure compliance with Section 5. Well, what I'd like to do is that is a practice. It seems almost like you're avoiding answering. Are you seeking then municipal courts, or do you want to go back and have some justice of the peace courts do? We we want to maintain municipal courts. Municipal courts. That's right. And how? And in Monterey County, do you want them elected by judicial districts or in one single district, as state law now provides? We want. Uh, one of the remedies that we have sought is uh, the election by judicial districts. Thank you. And uh, I'd like to reserve my remaining time for rebuttal. Very well, Mr. Avila. Mr. Wolfson, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, under Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, a covered jurisdiction like Monterey County must obtain preclearance of any voting change that it enacts or that it seeks to administer. This change, uh, this case involves voting changes that the county seeks to administer. In every election for county judges, Monterey County oversees and implements the process by which the voters are registered, by which candidates are placed on the ballot, and uh, by which the uh, winners are chosen in the election. But isn't that all pursuant to state law? Uh, well, the county, uh, the county does have to follow state law in some respects, but the county operates the process. I mean, it, when, when we refer to seeking to administer the voting change, uh, we read that to mean run, it runs the elections. Well, by another, even, even if it's entirely compliance with the law of another sovereign, the state, you know, put up uh, polling places, that is seeking to administer something? Yes, it is. And, in fact, uh, I, I point to two examples. First, I mean, the Court looked at a very similar matter in Perkins versus Matthews, where the state of Mississippi, uh, before the Voting Rights Act was enacted, had shifted from uh, single-member districts to at-large uh, elections. And uh, when eventually the city uh, got around to complying with that state law, the court said the change had to be pre-cleared, even though the formal enactment by the higher sovereign did not have to be pre-cleared. Another example, actually, that's quite relevant here is, of course, the literacy, the literacy tests uh, that occasioned the passing of Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. It's quite clear uh, in this case that those tests were mandated uh, by California state law, and they were implemented throughout the state of California you, at the county level. literacy tests in California? Literacy tests were, uh, were required by California state law. They were struck down. Uh, by the California Supreme Court in, I believe, in 1970, uh, after um, Section 5 uh, was long enacted. Now, Section 5 uh, — how, how does that bear on this? Case? My point is that Congress understood that even though there might be a requirement — that a requirement of the state sovereign that the county uh, follow some procedures, that the county might nonetheless not be able to do so under Section 5. And in, in situations like California and North Carolina — 
a very important example that was extensively discussed uh, when the Voting Rights Act was initially enacted. Uh, it was clear to Congress that there could be situations where a state — there might be nothing wrong per se with a state law, but the effects that it had in certain jurisdictions d- uh, did um, — might have had an effect on minority voting rights. But I don't, those, I don't see how that bears on the issue of seeks to administer. Seeks to administer means it runs the election. Now, if I may address Justice Kennedy's question about doesn't seek to administer indicate some kind of a discretion or some kind of wa- wanting to administer itself and not not just following um, state law. I think that's a seek to administer is purely temporal, and it should be contrasted with enacts. The way that the statute is written is if any jurisdiction enacts or seeks to administer something, uh, a voting change, then it has to obtain preclearance. Now, Congress didn't say seeks to enact because the legislature can, can formally enact it into state law without obtaining uh, the approval of the attorney general uh, or the district court. I mean, before it's actually implemented, uh, it has to then obtain — Well, but if, but if you couple enact with, with seek, enact indicates discretion. And, and, and here I noticed you told the Chief Justice, well, the county has to uh, do the polling and so forth. The county can't do districts. The districts must be set uh, by the state. Am I right about that? Um, well, after the state, I mean, after the state, this, arguably the state has now required uh, has now required us uh, one district. But even, even even before, I the, think before the districts were set by the state law. Um, no, I would say before that, certainly at the very beginning in 1968, my understanding is that the county had discretion about how to uh, how to uh, draw those districts uh, within the county lines. So, I, I mean, getting back to the point, that I think that um, seeks to administer simply means to begin to run the process by which elections are, are operated. There's no doubt that on the ground, the counties are the responsible authorities for doing — Well, for so, so supposing the state of California says there's going to be a 65-mile speed limit on our highways and they, the, the county, county police are going to enforce it. Now, is, is that something that the county is seeking to administer? They're told by the state they have to enforce a speed limit? I think that, that, I think that it would be seeks to administer. I mean, there are — I mean, leave aside the point that the county obviously has great discretion in how it would yeah. enforce that. But, but even so, I think that the, because the county actually operates the elections, uh, that, you know, that is the process by which it seeks to administer. And how, how about uh, the speed limit question? I, I would say it would seeks to administer because it is foreseen that the — by hypothesis that the — County patrol are the ones who uh, who enforce the state law in that section. I, I do want to point out that it's long been settled administrative practice that covered counties have been required to submit uh, for preclearance. I, I, they they submit or the state submits. So it, it has been both. As a matter it has of, been, right. could it as be a matter both of, if you're no, relying upon the text of the statute? As a matter of you say shall seek to administer. It says such. Right. You know, such state or subdivision. As a matter of convenience, the, from the point of view of administrative practice, the Attorney General has recognized that when a state law, be it when a state law that generally affects one or more counties, but say when it affects two or three counties, when a state law passes, it is more convenient for the state to submit uh, submit that for preclearance. It is the burden is ultimately — And that happened here, didn't it, with the, with the one that was precleared? It was yes. the state that submitted That's it. Correct. That's correct. That's correct. It did happen here. May, and, may I just ask you, because the time is so brief, what do you see as the bottom line? Because as I understand it, these ordinances cannot be precleared because the county has already admitted that they are right. — they, they dilute. So these — submit the, these with preclearance, pre- pre- they won't make 
the grade. So what I, happens? I, I mean, I need to be very cautious here because the Department of Justice has not seen the factual evidence underpinning this. So, but at least right. the county had a prior right. — Turn admitted in the DC in the DC district. Court. I think that there are I think that there are a variety of ways. Assuming that the county still believe still believe that it couldn't successfully submit for preclearance, and we are not prejudging that uh, that question. I, I do want to emphasize. Um, it might be that they would ha- uh, turn to single member districts instead of at large voting. There might be other ways in which um, Section Five. Uh, but then, then could be accommodated last like time residents. around, we were told there was no way that they could do that. Anything uh, other than this. Right. Without violating state law. That's correct. But I think that they're, first of all, I mean, in the end, if state law conflicts with Section 5, they have to follow Section 5. But I'm not sure that that's the only, that's the only, uh, I'm not sure that dividing the county into single districts is the only option they have. Well, what, what is there, it? There could be residency requirements for judges. But isn't that what the district judge was trying to do for years? He says, come up with something that satisfies both federal and state, and they couldn't. Um, well, I, I I, again, I have to say, I think that the only question here is whether preclearance is required. Yeah, but the you, you want to look down the road. This thing has been dragging on for years. I and under- why can't we look at the bottom line and ask what we're talking about? I guess bottom line, from your perspective, is violate state law and mandate single-member districts. If, if But only if it's determined that... Uh, that the state law would be retrogressive. I don't, why, think, why? I don't think that single-member districts is the only way. There are other options. There may be other options. We have not looked at it, and I cannot. Well, the district right. court couldn't come up with any. Uh, Mr. Avila couldn't come up with any. What do you have in Well, mind? there are situations, for example, where a county is, where there's at-large vote, where there's at-large voting, but judges are required to reside in different parts of the county so that that might not violate the elector- the separation of electoral and jurisdictional bases. I don't know whether that's been explored. I don't believe it has. But uh, if that were submitted to us, we would certainly uh, examine that. To what is the common sense? Suppose California's right. But ca- suppose on that. Look, we don't want, says California, to discriminate against anybody. We're trying to change our judicial system. We don't want 98,000 people called justice judges. We want municipal judges. And there'll be one municipal judge in each county, or four. That's all we're trying to do. Look at it up, down, and sideways. We're not trying to do anything else. No discrimination. Now, the California says there should be, if that's true, a fairly simple, efficacious manner of bringing it about. Now, in your opinion, what is that efficacious manner consistent with the law? If what they say is true, we're not trying to discriminate. We're trying to help our judicial system function better. I think that there are — I mean, dividing into districts could be one way. If, uh, How can you divide mean, it into districts if there's only, like, one municipal there's judge? Ten ju- there's or, ten yeah. judges on this mm-hmm. municipal court. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, and so dividing into districts could be one way of — uh, making sure that there's no retrogression and also having — not having a situation where you had before consolidation where there were, you know, 200 people for each judge. You could still have consolidation that would give you the benefits of a more efficient judicial system, but it might not be uh, fully uh, at large. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Wolfson. Uh, Mr. Stone, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, uh, the District Court's dismissal of this Section 5 coverage case was quite correct, and we submit that it should be affirmed by this Court. Mr. Stone, I can't help but ask, was the, was the issue of latches explored in the District Court this last time around? It, it was raised in our motion to dismiss as one of the grounds on which the case should be dismissed, but the District Court did not reach it. 
uh, and there were several other issues as well Lack. that the court found it unnecessary to reach. I'm having just a little bit of trouble hearing you. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the question related to whether latches had been raised, and I indicated that it was a ground in our motion to dismiss, but that the district court had not reached it. Um, this case presents a situation that was not contemplated by Section 5, and it's a situation for which the preclearance requirement provides no meaningful remedy. Here, if the appellants are correct, then the practical result would be no election for anybody with respect to municipal court judges in the County of Monterey indefinitely. The district court, the coverage court, could enjoin elections under the current system, to be sure. But as everyone now agrees, the county has no authority, no remaining authority, to conduct elections pursuant to the 1968 status quo system. And the county has no authority, as Justice O'Connor pointed out, to, at this point, create new justice court districts or merge districts or do anything. Well, it can get that authority from the district court, I I assume. If the district court should determine that that is the only way to bring the county in compliance with Section 5. Well, we suggest the court prescribe it, even if it's different from what exists elsewhere in the state? We suggest that the district court cannot, in a coverage case, uh, suspend the constitution of a non-covered jurisdiction, that its remedial power necessarily, even even if we're talking about the Washington, D.C. district court, upon a finding of action. Cannot suspend the constitution of a non-covered jurisdiction within the covered jurisdiction? Correct. Why not? Why can't — I mean, this is what I don't understand on your side of the case. Assume you're right. California is just trying to implement some perfectly reasonable reform of the justice system. But they say that if you implement it in Monterey County, it will have a retrogressive effect in respect to discrimination. Now, you think one thing, they think the other. Why wouldn't everyone long ago have gone to the D.C. Circuit, where their job is to work this out. That, I mean, that, that's, that's what I don't understand, why, why this has gone on for several years arguing. I, I don't get it, in other words. It seems like a typical argument. California has a law which it thinks is absolutely perfect. They think, as applied to Monterey County, it has a discriminatory effect. The statute says when a county administers a law, you know, a covered statute, that may have a, any change in voting at all, they're supposed to go to the D.C. Circuit. So why aren't you in the D.C. Circuit? Well, your question suggested a host of answers. But initially, we now have from the United States government as amicus uh, a concession that non-covered jurisdictions have no obligation to pre-clear anything. The state of California is permitted, they say. Uh, yeah, well, the state has no obligation, they say, to pre-clear its law, even as it affects Monterey County. Correct. But Monterey County still has an ordinance of its own and wants to administer the state law, so it can seek preclearance. Well, under the United States theory, it is required to seek preclearance yes. not only of its own ordinances, but of a state enactment, or in this case, a state constitutional amendment. That's what they say. That it, ha- it did not initiate it. It had no authority to initiate it. Uh, but if they're right, then they'll have to seek preclearance, and if the federal law prevails, it can prevail over California state law, presumably. Well, if, if the California itself, the state, as a non-covered jurisdiction, has no obligation to preclear its enactments, and it does not by concession at this point, 
But then for how can the State so. — I'm sorry. It's free to do so if it wants to, isn't it? Uh, well, Couldn't it assume the, the burden of seeking preclearance? Well, uh, I suppose so, but then what does that do it to did, the sovereignty? It did. For the 1983 law, yeah. the State did seek preclearance. It did, and it has on and off over history. Certainly we concede that a number of States in the position of California that are not themselves covered but that have covered subdivisions have, for whatever reasons, and I suspect they were often political reasons, uh, attempts to reassure before enacting, perhaps to guarantee themselves that they wouldn't be subject to Section 2 or constitutional lawsuits, they have willingly attempted to pre-clear through the U.S. Department of Justice. But let's assume that the 1983 clear, uh, pre, uh, statute was pre-cleared. Uh, it's been conceded that it was. Uh, does that carry you home on the grounds that uh, the 1983 statute um, permitted the consolidation of the remaining justice courts into the municipal court, and everybody knew that the municipal court was one district then because of the 1979 statute. Do you make any argument that that carries you all the way home, or is that not before us? Well, well, the district court indicated that the combination of the preclearance of the state's 1983 statute and of the county's final ordinance merging the last remaining justice courts into the municipal court, which was also pre-cleared, that combination put an end absolutely to anything other than a countywide municipal court. Now, I recognize that uh, appellants have raised arguments that because the county was the acting agent in bringing those last two justice courts into the municipal court, that there was still some preclearance requirement. The district court found there was not, but that was all rendered moot when, in 1994, the people of the state of California eliminated statewide, as Justice Scalia pointed out, any justice court. There are no longer justice courts. The state of California, a sovereign, uncovered state, is reforming a central component of its state government. It's changing the nature of the judiciary in the state by eliminating. But if the justice courts are turned into municipal courts, it doesn't follow that the municipal courts can't sit in districts. So I, I don't know if the 1994 proposition, I think, it was 191. Well, it, works. in this court's prior Lopez opinion in 1996, it, it pointed out that in the state constitutional framework, justice courts are for jurisdiction of, of less than 40,000, and municipal courts are for more than 40,000. And the requirement that a municipal court district have more than 40,000 state residents within it remains after Proposition 191, so that a small justice court cannot become in and of itself a separate municipal court. Well, what does that add to what you already had from your 1983 statute? Clearly? Well, it, it doesn't add anything except if one hypothesizes that had the, the county not willingly merged these last remaining justice courts, then, as the district court found, by operation of law, once justice courts were eliminated, the last two, had they re still remained justice courts in Monterey County, they would automatically have been folded into the existing But won't they say that still doesn't solve the problem of districting? Okay, so they're municipal court judges. They still want them to sit in districts. Well, the, uh, it's not a thing they can have, we submit, because the current district is defined by state law and the state is well, covered jurisdiction. Well, of course... <laughs> If the federal law requires it, then state law has to give way in Monterey County. Well, That's the point. That is the question. And, well, and, and I mean, the, what do you think the supremacy clause of the Constitution is all about? No, you're absolutely correct. If, I mean, if, if, the, if, if that is the law, if that is the law, that federal law requires the election of judges by district in Monterey County, then it doesn't matter that the state law says something else. Well, except that one has to define the federal law in a way that it can reach and annul state law. But, that, but that's well, the but statutory argument. Uh, you, 
Correct. The, the question is the plain meaning of Section 2, and, and we've shown the Court in our briefs. Mr. Stone, can I ask you a question about the conflict with the California law? As I understand the California law, it requires a, a countywide district for judicial purposes, for jurisdictional purposes. But does it speak to the question of how the judges will be elected? In other words, would it necessarily conflict with state law if uh, uh, the county had a rule that said the district shall have uh, countywide uh, judges have countywide jurisdiction, but one of the judges must be a resident of a certain part of the county. I mean, divide up the county residentially or for voting purposes, something like that. That didn't affect their jurisdiction. Would that conflict with state law? Y- your hypothetical would involve sub districts for election purposes. Either sub districts for election purposes, or at least for re- for residential for qualification of the judges to live in a in a certain neighborhood or something like that. Well, I'm not sure what the answer is to a residential requirement if there were countywide voting for those people. You think there'd have to be countywide voting, though? Yes, that is a matter of the state constitution, Article 6, Section 16. But that does as, as to all counties? Yes, in, uh, as to all judicial districts. Every voter within a judicial district is entitled to vote for every judge but of that there are district. some counties in California with more than one judicial district. Correct. And for that, there are not countywide elections, but there are always district-wide elections. As I understood Justice Stevens' hypothetical, we had a countywide court with some divisions or residency requirements within. All I'm saying is, whatever the requirements may be, there would still have to be, if the jurisdiction of the municipal court district were countywide, then every voter within that county would have a right under the state constitution to elect the judges thereof. Mr. Stone, this is not in the record, but someone told me recently that in Los Angeles County, the superior court judges and the municipal courts have been combined so that there will simply be one kind of judge there. Do you know anything about that? And is it statewide, or would that just be Los Angeles County? Uh, it's, a, it's rather a combination. In June of this year, the state constitution was amended to permit what's called unification of municipal and superior courts. If the, the vote taken in a given county shows a majority of both the sitting municipal court judges and the sitting superior court judges in favor of that unification, at that point, the municipal court within that county would be abolished. And apparently that's what occurred in Los Angeles County. Mr. Stone, is there, in the, uh, the original pleadings, was, was there both a Section 2 and a Section 5 case brought here? There was not. There has never been. So this, this is just a Section 5 case? Strictly Section well, 5. Well, is part, I guess that the reason I ask this is, is this, is, is part of your argument, or, or is it implicit in what you're arguing, that the district court would in fact have great discretion to fashion a remedy if it found a Section 2 violation? It could, for example, say, the only way to eliminate the discriminatory effect that I find is to, uh, in effect, to require as a, as a remedial scheme uh, uh, four districts, each electing one judge as opposed to one district uh, from which four are elected. Um, however, uh, is it implicit in your argument that the judge, that the district court does not have that degree of flexibility under Section 5, that under Section 5 all it can say is you are supposed to pre-clear, you haven't therefore pre-clear, and that its remedial discretion, its, 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 uh, the possibility of, of, uh, of, of remedial creativity uh, simply cannot go beyond that kind of yes or no order? Uh, it, it could include... I have a couple answers, but, but in the Section 5 framework, in the coverage case, as opposed to an action for declaratory relief in the Washington, D.C. District yeah. Court, in the coverage case, all the coverage court can do is determine whether the challenged change right. is in fact so, covered. So that, I take it, is the reason that you're saying uh, that 
there, there isn't anything, I think you're saying, that the Court cannot practically do, it cannot practically order the kind of remedy that the petitioners would like. That's correct. If, if the petitioners were, if the county were required to go to Washington, D.C. and pre-clear or attempt to pre-clear its ordinances, it would be an utterly futile act at this point because the county has no remaining authority to implement those ordinances. Well, why, why isn't it? That, look, I, I'm missing something because it just, see, I thought that there's a statute. And what the statute that I have in front of me says is whenever a political subdivision of a state. Now, Monterey County is a political subdivision, right? Yes. And it's a covered subdivision, right? Yes, correct. So it says, whenever a political subdivision that is covered shall seek to administer any voting qualification or prerequisite to voting. Now, I take it, in addition to all those ordinances, the new state law, maybe with superior counties, everything else, is a prerequisite to voting. I, there's no argument about that, is there? Or maybe there is, but I mean, well, if, well, yeah, I didn't see one here. It, all right. It's certainly an alteration. All right. It's, yeah, it's fine. It says whenever that happens, what the, it says the political subdivision is supposed to do is to go to the Attorney General or the D.C. Circuit and get it cleared. That's what the copy, I think, if I'm reading it correctly. So why isn't that the end of this part of the argument? That is, you're in the wrong court. You, you ought to be in the D.C. Circuit. It should be pre-cleared. Now, it may be you have the best reasons in the world. It may be that they filed 35 years too late. It may be that there's no way to work out a good remedy otherwise. But all this is for the D.C. Circuit to decide, not for the California court. Now, now that, I take it, is their basic argument here. Now, now, now what's, what's the response to that argument? Well, as Justice Souter pointed out, in a Section 5 coverage case, one of the issues that is before the District Court is whether the, the voting change, the alleged voting change that is challenged, is in fact subject to preclearance in the first place. Now, but I've just read you the statute, I take it, that when you read it on its face, it seems to be that it is subject to preclearance. Well, that's the very issue here, is it not? Precisely. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what this case is about, to say yes or no right. to that. And if we say yes, then the district court, federal district court in California, has to simply say, yes, it's covered, period. Correct. Then it will be up to the county, if it wants to implement election of judges at all, to seek preclearance, or the state may, according to the attorney general, the solicitor general, the state may do it if it wants. So the, the question is very much focused on the plain meaning of the phrase, seek to administer, and several of your questions to the appellants said so. That's what I was trying if, to get. If the appellant's interpretation of seek to administer, which is that it encompasses anything and everything, regardless of source, that has any impact within the covered jurisdiction, if that were, that very, very broad interpretation were upheld by this Court, then it would be a direct reversal of Young versus Fordyce in which case, as you'll recall in Mississippi, there was a challenge to Mississippi's implementation of the Federal National Voting Rights Act, which very much changed the registration practices within the state, which is a covered state. And this Court said, to the extent that there is no discretion in the covered jurisdiction to make any changes or to select ways uh, in which to implement this, it doesn't require preclearance. It comes from a non-covered source. 
It, well, but it also, it also came from a Federal source, which was of equal dignity legally with, uh, with Section 5, and that's not what we're dealing with here. No, no, I certainly can see that we're not in every respect in the same shoes as the Federal Government. But it seems to me for the narrow purpose of analyzing what seeks to administer means, we are in the same shoes in the sense that neither the State no, of California — I, I think it's totally different. If Federal law requires something, that is supreme, and obviously the covered jurisdiction — has no choice. This is a state law requirement. Over which? So federal law can uh, mandate something different. But the covered jurisdiction likewise has no choice with respect to California law when that law does not reserve any discretion within the covered jurisdiction. Well, it has no choice but to obey the order of the federal court when the federal court's intervention is sought. In the meantime, it can't hold any elections. No, my, my point is whether the covered jurisdiction is exercising any kind of discretion. Recall that initially Section 5 was designed in conjunction with Section 4 to identify through a statutory formula to identify those jurisdictions, and they were either states or the, the political subdivisions. The doesn't speak of discretion. It says administer. So our question is do we read some kind of discretion in there? Well, it we, says whether it seeks to administer. And we now have a concession from the appellants that the term seeks to administer can reasonably be used to speak of discretionary administrative acts by a covered jurisdiction. This is in their reply brief. It's the first time they've said this. Prior oh, but where does that get you? I mean, if, of course, sometimes when, when one is seeking to administer something, one may exercise discretion in figuring out how to do it. Other times in seeking to administer something, one need not. In this particular case, uh, it, it seems to be non-discretionary. But, I mean, the word seek to administer covers both. Well, I suggest that it presents the Court with an ambiguity, that there are two alternative means of interpreting seeks to administer now. As plaintiffs concede, it could be interpreted to focus simply on the administrative acts, executive decisions, anything other than formal promulgations by a covered jurisdiction. Alternatively, it could be interpreted to be broadly to encompass anything and everything that's different, whether imposed from above or not. And because there's an ambiguity... Well, it could be interpreted to mean anything and everything that's different as a result of a decision made at a non-federal level. <laughs> that's a possible interpretation. I, I suppose, but I suggest that that's a distinction that can't be found anywhere in the statute. Uh, you, certainly, Your Honor could suggest it's implied, but the statute talks well, about it's covered versus it's, non -covered. it's seeking to administer a state-directed change in electric pra election practices. And you say that's not covered because it was state-directed. Yes. But one, one could, could say that that's, in order to get away from the elephantine loophole, that that's a reasonable reading. Because you do have to admit it's a fairly large loophole if you say any, any covered jurisdiction doesn't have to change, it doesn't have to get preclearance whenever the state law authorizes it. Well, we, we don't admit it's a loophole because we think it's fairly No, strange. you don't think it's a loophole, but it's a rather large non-covered area of the statute. Well, it is, but there are, there are I don't know what, 40-some-odd non-covered states in the nation. I mean, if you want to speak of loopholes, obviously the Section 5 preclearance requirement has not been imposed by Congress upon everyone. Why, why, um... Why have those states that have cleared it in the past in such situations done so? Well, uh, that would require speculation on my part, Your Honor. I, I suggest that it may have been political reasons to show good faith to minority voters within the state to try to avoid perhaps Section 2 or constitutional are there, challenge. Are there many instances in which uh, states have not done so? 
have not done so? Mm-hmm. I, I can't speak to that. The cases deal with those in which the states have done so voluntarily. Do you, the, do you know uh, of any where they have not done so? Well, one of the cases here is the 1979 statute in California, which dictated a municipal court district, and uh, all parties concede that was not pre-cleared. The state did not seek pre-clearance of that. Uh, and I, I suspect there are a number of other examples. I'm just not aware of what they might be. You're, you're, you, you don't, you're not aware that it's a practice in either direction? Uh, no, I accept the United States' representation that it's commonplace for jurisdictions in this, in this situation to voluntarily seek preclearance. But I don't think that gets us anywhere as far as a holding of this court. As you know, all the, the Shaw cases and the lawyer case from Florida and the UJO case from New York all came before the court in the posture of a constitutional challenge or a Section 2 challenge to redistricting plans. And in reciting the history of the case, the court has pointed out that the states, North Carolina, Florida, and New York, voluntarily sought preclearance administratively before finally deciding on a districting plan. But there's no holding that analyzes, as this Court is now asked to do, what the plain meaning of the statute is, whether there's a clear statement by Congress that this Section 5 is intended to go beyond covered jurisdictions, and what the federalism issues might be if such a — Isn't there administrative discretion in the — my impression was that for quite a long time, anyway, under some of these ordinances, Monterey had considerable discretion, say, to set boundaries, which they could have drawn in different ways. And even where there's one district, they'd have discretion as to whether to have a residency requirement, for example, as whether or not. So, I mean, if that word administer means you have to have some discretion, which I don't know if it does or not, but if it does mean that, isn't there a significant amount here? Why not? There was historically, Justice Breyer. There, there was the Government Code Section 71040 gave to the counties the discretion to change boundaries as uh, now do they have some effect. in respect to, say, imposing residence requirements? No. I think residence requirement is a state requirement. And I mean, if they wanted to divide it by, uh, by uh, in effect, districts by saying you have to have one of the ten from this, these blocks and another of the ten has to live in a different place, could they do that? I, I don't know the answer to that. Maybe they could. The state requirement is that everyone who is a justice of that court reside within the court. So if, if you wanted to parse it even smaller than that, perhaps there is discretion. In, in the counties which do have districts, Los Angeles, uh, for instance, I assume they have districts, do those counties set the district lines or does the state legislature do that? It, it could be either way, and I'm not sure precisely in the case of Los Angeles. The, the, are there, are the statute there, are there any counties in the state of California with multiple judicial districts where the counties set the district lines? Yes. Yes, there is statutory discretion given to the counties unless the state acts otherwise. And what's happened here is the state So then there would over. be no really violation of, of overall state policy for Monterey to do this by compulsion of, of a federal court in the D.C. Circuit to or do, in to compliance do. with the plan. To, to, to divide into sub- Some counties in, in California do set their own electoral district lines, and therefore it doesn't necessarily contravene state policy uh, to, to do so in Monterey. Well, I submit that it does, not only because in 1972 the State Judicial Council and the Chief Justice indicated that they thought that was the better way for Monterey County to operate, but also because much more recently the State has dictated that there be just one municipal court in Monterey County. So the State policy with respect to this part of its overall judicial system has spoken and has dictated the branch. All parties are agreed here that the County no longer has any discretion to have a, a municipal court anything short of countywide. So my, my point is that since we have this ambiguity, 
then under the cases uh, relating to importance of federalism, the Gregory versus Ashcroft, the New York versus United States, uh, Will versus Michigan, they say that if there's only an ambiguity, if the most that the plaintiffs can show is an ambiguity, then that falls far short of the requisite clear statement of Congress. Can I go back to Justice Kennedy's question for just a moment? Uh, the state policy we're talking about of having just one judicial district in the county is a county-specific state policy, not a general state policy, isn't it? Well, it's w- with respect to municipal courts. Yes. The statute that has countywide municipal court in Monterey County is county-specific. There's a, a superior court system, the next layer up, and the one that, which can now be at the choice of the counties, unified with municipal courts. That's always been countywide by dictate of the state. It doesn't seem to me so unusual to say that when a state has a county-specific policy relating to a covered county, that there may be special reason for the state law to bow to the federal law that applies only to that county. The, the, the problem the state has with that is that it, it takes the presumption uh, which attaches with application of Section 5. If you're a covered jurisdiction, you're presumed to have had a history of wrongdoing, and you're suspected in the future of making voting changes designed to undermine the voting rights of minority voters. Or having the effect of undermining. Or uh, having the effect. Yeah, but that's right. And the state can do that just as readily as, as, as the county can. But, but the point is — In fact, more readily, because it's, it's not trying to be careful not to undermine it. And that makes it very sensible to — to clear the, the, the state's plans for, for what its effect is in the county. But, Justice Scalia, the state has not been identified as a wrongdoer. The preclearance requirement is a remedy for wrongdoing identified by Congress. Right, but, the, this, but, but once you acknowledge that there need be, that there, the only wrongdoing that's relevant is past wrongdoing, that there need not be intentional wrongdoing in enacting the new plan, the new plan may simply have the effect in good faith and without the intent to discriminate, but it, it has a bad effect. Once you acknowledge that, I don't see any reason to think that uh, — any reason in policy why uh, the, the state's plan having that effect shouldn't be cleared just as well as the county's plan having that effect. Well, the policy issue goes to the allocation of burdens. If you're a Section 5 identified covered county, then it's your burden to go to Washington, D.C. and establish that your that the voting change that you desire and that you have fashioned, the Court uses all kinds of terms like fashion, adopt, uh, seek to undertake, and so on. It all suggests that it's the covered jurisdiction's initiative that leads to this voting change, and they have the burden to show that it isn't a bad thing. Why should the state, which has never been deemed a covered jurisdiction under any no, of the but you can't say the state has never been a wrongdoer because it had the, the literacy test which was wrongful to the extent that affected counties in which there was this particular result that occurred in Monterey County. And the state was the source of the wrongdoing. Uh, The state is the wrongdoer. I would very much dispute that. This this county has less than 1.2 percent of the state of California population. All four covered counties within the state combined have less than No, but was it not a state statute requiring literacy tests that was the wrong that gave rise to the coverage? It was not. The the test for coverage is two-pronged. Right. One is the existence of literacy. The state and half was the impact in that county. Uh, the state's literacy test was not a wrong. There were literacy tests across the country at the time the Voting Rights Act was passed. The wrong Congress looked at, and again, it was just a formulaic, mechanical wrong, but it was the voter turnout because Congress recognized that literacy tests were prone to abuse. They had all manner of room for local discretion. So it's not the test. If it were the test, then every state that had a test would be a covered jurisdiction there. Every county in California would And every county in California. No, but but, but I, I don't accept your, your argument that, that, that 
You seem to assume that I'm saying the state has to clear it. I don't think the state has to clear it. I think the county has to clear it. But and the county is a, is a covered jurisdiction. But isn't that anomalous? When the county can do nothing to change it and the county is asked to come and defend it, it may not have the desire to defend it. This particular county may be entirely against the state's new law or new policy. It may not have the financial resources fairly and adequately to defend it. And it comes in there without any power to change it. So you would have, uh, uh, one needs look no further than this case to see the kind of mischief. It, it that wasn't had to anomalous to. if you go back into history. I take it the history of this was there'd be a lot of places in the South where they'd vote in a town by district and say so they were 40 percent black and 60 percent white. And then soon as you had to let black people vote, what they did was suddenly switch to a, uh, to a system that was uh, a single district. And now it could be in many of those towns they would have said, well, we won't have it ourselves. And lo and behold, you discover the state legislature implementing it throughout the entire state. Well, of course, the now, historically, that was an evil, wasn't it? Sir? Well, uh, no, but, but in, in states, point. I think there are some states where the state is not a covered jurisdiction. But, and I take it, is, 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 that, is that not? North Carolina. North Carolina, I thought, was. And I thought that the same problem would exist there, and that that was the history of this. But, but the question is whether there's any justification, any constitutional justification, I would submit, for assuming wrongdoing on the part of a non-covered It wasn't to assume wrongdoing. Proof. It was well, to try to cure the problem in the county. But you have shifted the burdens. If you require a non-covered jurisdiction to come and prove, absent any proof of wrongdoing, you've shifted the burdens in a manner that I suggest is unconstitutional. In Katzenbach, this Court pointed out that what a very important element it was for Congress surgically to have identified the wrongdoers before but, imposing the preclearance requirement. Thank you, Mr. Stone. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Avila, you have three minutes remaining. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Uh, referring back to a point that was made by Justice Scalia, even a, a law with a statewide effect might still have a greater effect on those counties that Congress designated for Section 5 purposes. As long as the covered jurisdiction is implementing a change, Section 5 applies. And that common-sense understanding of the term was reflected in the Court's earlier opinion in this case when, uh, writing for a unanimous Court, Justice O'Connor stated that a Section 5 covered jurisdiction must obtain preclearance before, quote, implementing, close quote, a voting change. Those were, the, those were the words used by this Court to describe the operative effect of Section 5. And when we look at the administrative practices of the Attorney General in Sheffield, this Court held that the Attorney General's interpretation of Section 5 is, quote, persuasive evidence of original understanding. So what we're trying to do in this case is merely maintain what's been going on for the past for the past three decennial dis, uh, redistrictings. And when we look at uh, what, Cal in fact, uh, what California, the state of California and the county uh, administers at the local level, we know that the county uh, administers the election machinery and the personnel that actually administer the state elections. And we, in, our, in our brief, we cite to numerous state statutes in which the state mandates that a particular election occur and that the county is, is directed to administer that election. If the 1983 statute was pre-cleared, wasn't that against a background where there was a single district? And why shouldn't that end this case? It does not end the case because we, when you're talking about reviewing a voting change, you're talking about what happened before and what happened after. The 1983 state statute only referred to the conversion from three judicial districts to a single countywide district. It did not start off with the November 1968 uh, nine judicial district plan, and we do not have uh, the conversion before the Department of Justice or the D.C. Court between nine districts. I don't understand. If, if the 1983 statute provided for a single judicial district, and this has been pre-cleared, getting back to Justice O'Connor's question, what's left? What's left is the judicial uh, — what's left is the pre-clearance 
of nine districts which existed on November 1st, 1968, to three districts which existed in, in 1983. The 1983 state statute only converted three judicial districts into a single county-wide. Whenever you examine voting change, it's examining from what to what, from what is it being changed from to what is it being changed of, uh, changed to, and that's precisely the point that we're making in, in, in this argument. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Avila. The case is submitted.